0: Well, good morning, church family. And yes, again, happy Mother's Day. I have witnessed childbirth twice, and it is impressive. It is impressive. Um, But we know... Uh, that There are mothers of many kinds. For those of you who are involved in adoption or foster care or safe families, uh, man, thank you for uh, who you are, what you do um, here uh, in our midst as we get to see that. Um, and also, just as Zach shared, we know Mother's Day can be a day of mixed emotions, a, a day where there is celebration and also Uh, a day that often can be viewed through the lens of loss. And so we just want to acknowledge that we see you and we recognize that. But more importantly, God sees you and he's with you uh, wherever you are at uh, on this Mother's Day. But for the mothers among us, uh, we really do want to say thank you uh, for living as examples to us of what it means to live and serve Uh, with humility, just like Jesus, our King, uh, lived for us and served us in humility. Amen? Amen. Well, we are in the book of Philippians, and actually that is a huge theme uh, in the book of Philippians, the idea of uh, the the humility of Jesus, this King, uh, the God of the universe, who comes to us not uh, simply to conquer, uh, although he did conquer sin and he did conquer death, uh, but that Jesus the King is establishing a kingdom that is altogether different than any other kingdom that has ever been established here uh, on earth before. In uh, and, and fact, the book of Philippians is a letter that was written to a city called Philippi, uh, which is a, was a Roman colony uh, that would have been fiercely loyal uh, to Rome would have been fiercely loyal to Caesar, uh, that would have been rewarded. Uh, many of the, the citizens in Philippi would have been rewarded for faithful service Uh, to Rome, whether that be military service uh, or uh, government service or any other ways that Rome could have been served as merchants or whatever it may be, that at the end of those careers, they were awarded with lands uh, and estates in Philippi. And so this was a city, an environment that was highly loyal uh, to the Roman Empire and to Caesar Himself. And in comes this guy named Paul, this apostle that Jesus sent to take the good news of who he is to the ends of the earth. And uh, we read in the book of Acts that Paul uh, goes into Philippi and preaches the gospel. He finds some women that are there Lydia, uh, who is a merchant who sells purple. uh, And uh, she's there and she's a God fearing person. But Paul runs into her and explains the good news of who Jesus is to her. And she and her friends become believers. And as a result, this church, uh, the Philippian church, is planted uh, in this city of Philippi. And years and years later, at the end of Paul's uh, kind of missionary journeys, uh, he is imprisoned in Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's awaiting uh, standing trial before uh, Nero, before Caesar. And he is writing letters to the churches. He's written the letter uh, to the Ephesian church. He's written the letter to the Colossian church. Uh, He's written the letter to Philemon. And we've walked through all of those together. And now we're walking through this letter that he writes to the church in Philippi. And again, thematic of this, uh, this letter is this idea that there is a new king. His name is Jesus. He is better than, bigger than, more powerful than uh, Caesar could ever hope to be. uh, That he is the God of the universe. But the way that he rules and reigns is so different. Uh, He rules and reigns in, in kindness and gentleness and in humility, and because of that, as his followers, we can live in the midst of any and every circumstance, whether difficult uh, or whether easy, whether prosperous or struggling, whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in, we can enter into those circumstances Full of joy and looking for ways to serve those around us. That's what the book of Philippians uh, is all about. We are entering uh, kind of the home stretch of the book of Philippians. Uh, we are in Philippians chapter 4. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles. If you're using one of the Philippians journals, pull that out. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Uh, If you're using one of the blue Bibles here, you'll find Philippians 4 on page 1085. Uh, If you are following along in a smart device, you can look it up in the ESV, uh, the English Standard Version, that'll make it easy for you uh, to follow along. And uh, Philippians chapter 4 starts with this word, therefore, and we know what that means if you're a part of Mosaic and you've been a part of Mosaic for a while, you know that when there is a therefore, you got to figure out what it's there for, right? Right? Uh, There is some context uh, that is needed. And if you just scan up a couple of verses, verse 20 and 21, uh, Paul says, "...but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself." So Paul is highlighting this king, uh, his kingdom, and our citizenship in that kingdom, recognizing that he is doing an eternal work, and that he rules and reigns over everything and everybody, including and especially us. Followers of Jesus uh, who have put our trust in him and faith in him for salvation, who are putting our hope in him for the day that he will return or we will pass through this life and meet him face to face. And so Paul says, therefore, so because of this citizenship that we enjoy together, this citizenship in heaven, because of our King Jesus and who he is and what he has done, he says, therefore, in verse one of chapter four, my brothers, my brothers and sisters in Christ Whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord my beloved. So, Paul, here in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 1, is reminding the church in Philippi how much he loves them how dear to his heart they are, how much they as a church mean to him, that they truly are family to him, that they matter to him, that, that they are a part of his heart and his ministry, that Paul was an apostle to them as he brought the, the good news of Jesus into Philippi and, and people became believers and a church was established. Paul is saying, listen, I want to encourage you because I love you to stand firm thus in Christ. The Lord. He's saying because of our citizenship in heaven, because of this reality that Jesus is going to return, because he rules and reigns over everyone and everything, persevere in him, press in to, to living for him, stand firm. Don't allow the cares of this world, uh, the, the, the love of money, the the cultural surroundings and the trappings of this life pull you in and pull you down and pull you away from believing in Jesus, from trusting in Jesus, from living for Jesus. Paul is saying, thus, stand firm in the Lord. My beloved, I love you enough to tell you that it matters that you stand firm. Don't allow anything in this life to pull you away from what matters most, which is living for Jesus. So Paul says, stand firm, my beloved. And then he makes this transition into having a, a, a bit of a personal exhortation with some people who were prominent in the Philippian church. Uh, he calls them out by name and he, he uses the word entreat. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. Those are fun words to say, right? I certainly practiced those before this morning. Uh, you can believe that. But he says, I entreat. He's he's this is a, a a deep begging. He's saying, I really want to exhort you. I'm I'm really calling you into something. And he says, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Sintiki to agree in the Lord. Apparently, there is some sort of conflict that has unfolded between these two people that is important enough as Epaphroditus perhaps has shared with the apostle Paul who's in prison. Epaphroditus, a leader in the church, uh, has traveled to Rome and he's sharing with Paul what's going on in Philippi. And Paul is writing back and he's saying, you two uh, people, these women, who are incredibly uh, important in the life of the church, enough so that Paul would use the pages of scripture to address their situation. He says, I entreat you, I beg you to agree in the Lord that 's a really important piece of this puzzle now, what the nature of their disagreement was we don 't know. Theologians have guessed theologians have wondered um, and and there 's really just no consensus on what their disagreement could have been there 's no hint in the text, but it was obviously a public enough disagreement that Paul would publicly Address the disagreement in the letter that he's writing to the church in Philippi. And the Holy Spirit allowed that to be done, knowing that this would be scripture so that we could look back 2000 years later and realize that these two women's agreement in the Lord was important. It mattered. It matters to the church that we are unified together as the people of God and that our unity is based on the lordship of Jesus. Remember our context that our citizenship is in heaven and that Jesus, our king, rules and reigns over all of us, right? That that we share a ruler, we share a lord, and he rules over all of us. And because of that, he's calling us into this thing uh, called unity, to agree with one another. Now that word agree in Greek is a really important word for us to key in on because it is the same word that we find in Philippians 2 when Paul says, I want your attitude uh, to be like-minded. I want you to have the same mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That idea of having the same Mind, which is ours in Christ Jesus, is the word that Paul uses here when he says, Hey, uh, Euodia, Syntyche, I want you to agree. I want you to have the same mind in the Lord. Now, it's interesting. He doesn't say, I want you to agree on the topic. I, I want you to agree on the debate. I want you to agree on the situation. I want you to agree uh, on, on what has unfolded. and, And I want you to have the same perspective of that. He's not talking about the situation, but what he's saying is I want your agreement to transcend your situation. I want your agreement to, to rise above some of the nuance that you're fighting about, whatever that may be. And we can't really relate to this nowadays because we don't really disagree about anything in the church, right? Uh, we don't disagree on our social media. We don't disagree, uh, you know, at, at work with one another. We don't disagree uh, here in the church as we seek to do ministry together. We don't ever disagree on anything, right? So it's hard for us to relate, right? But do your best, you know, put on your thinking cap um, and recognize that what Paul is saying is that I, ultimately I want your mind to be like Jesus, who sought to serve the other, who sought to lay down his prerogatives and lay down his right. Remember what we walked through in the Christ poem that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God. It's something to be grasped or held onto, but instead he laid himself down like a servant. He laid down his prerogatives and his rights as the second person of the Trinity, the, the, the God of the universe, Jesus, the son of God, took on human flesh to dwell among us to serve us, to seek, and to save the lost. And so what Paul is using as his basis for agreement is the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the perspective of our King, Jesus. And he includes the whole church in this process. Verse three, he says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, the, the, the true companion that Paul is addressing is also under debate from a, uh, a, you know, uh, a study perspective. Theologians are kind of digging into that. Who is this true companion? Is, is this a specific person? Is he addressing uh, the church at large? And, and the reality is, as you see this unfold, Paul is really involving uh, the, the church at large, saying whether the, he's speaking to that in that true companion piece, or he's saying like, true companion, Clement, everyone whose names are written in the book of life, all of us who have labored side by side together in the gospel, uh, let's all join in helping these two women agree in the Lord. It was important enough for Paul that these two women agree in the Lord, that he specifically spoke to them in this letter, and that the Holy Spirit would allow this to be a part of the pages of scripture, demonstrates to us how important it is that we walk in harmony with one another and in unity with one another. And Paul continues in verse four by saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone the lord is at hand so in the midst of this conflict this dispute this this interpersonal frustration and struggle between these two women who were important in this church that clearly involved the whole church community paul is saying we still have cause for joy we we still have the ability to rejoice even in the midst of our struggles, even in the midst of our strife, even in the midst of walking through difficult dynamics, that our joy is not dictated by our circumstances, which this is a gigantic theme throughout uh, the letter to the Philippians, that our joy is not based on what's going on around us, but our joy is based on what Jesus has done. And our joy is based on who Jesus is. This is why for all of us in the room, as we step into Mother's Day and it hits us in different ways, uh, perhaps in ways of joy and perhaps in ways of sorrow, it's important for us to recognize that our joy is not found in our present realities, but our joy is found in who Jesus is and what he has done. And the, the, the new citizenship that he has invited us into the new kingdom that he's invited us into, a kingdom that doesn't say that as long as you have money in the bank, as long as you have health, as long as you have well-being around you, then you can be okay within. But Jesus' kingdom says, there is something that is eternal, that, that this world is temporary, and though it has been infected and affected by sin and all of, uh, of sin's damage that we live, uh, as Renault always says, on planet death, that in the midst of planet death, we can have joy looking forward to eternal life that is found in Jesus. And so Paul says twice in the same verse, rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then verse five, which I really think we should just kind of maybe post on all of our laptop screens, maybe on our phone screens as well, maybe our lock screen. Uh, It should be something that we're reminded of before we post anything onto the internet, right? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. (laughs) What would it be like if Christians were just known as reasonable people? Can you imagine that universe? Like, Oh, you know, those Christians, I don't agree with everything they believe, but they, they sure are reasonable people. But how often do we in public forums and platforms on our social media or in our workplaces or wherever we are in our neighborhoods, in our environments, how often do we project our opinions in such a way that is so unreasonable that the people who don't know Jesus looking in on those just think to themselves, I don't know about who Jesus is, but I don't want to be a part of that crew. And that's an indictment on us. It is an indictment on the church at large, on Christianity in America today. That is an indictment on us. And we need to go to our Bibles and read Philippians chapter four, verse five. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. That doesn't mean we're spineless. That doesn't mean we don't believe anything passionately. It doesn't mean we don't care about things that matter. We do. And we engage, we engage in our culture. We engage in our workplace. We engage in our neighborhoods. We engage in conversations, difficult conversations. But as we engage by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside us, might we be more like Jesus who is full of both grace and truth? As we engage by the power of the Holy Spirit according to the word of God in Philippians chapter 4, verse five, where we can let our reasonableness be made known to everybody full of grace and truth. I love that Jesus is not the balance of grace and truth. He's not some sort of like teeter-totter balance. Okay, we have a little bit of grace here, a little bit of truth here, but he's full of both. And I believe that that is our calling as followers of Jesus. And especially in context of our relationships with one another. And that is the context that Paul is speaking into. He's saying, listen, we have this new citizenship. We have this new kingdom. There's these two people, they're fighting in the midst of the church. It's a public dispute, it's a public disagreement. And just so you know, the world is looking in on you. And as the world looks in on you, learn to agree and have the same mind as Christ Jesus has and agree in the Lord. And as the world looks in on you, they're like, well, that's different. They certainly disagree on this topic. They disagree on what should be done about this thing. They disagree about what went down, yet at the same time, they have a mind that says, let me serve you well, even in the midst of our disagreement. What would that be like? And and Paul is saying, especially as it relates to us within the body of Christ, especially as it relates to us within the church, he's saying, let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. Why? What is the why? Why? The why is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, whose uh, rule and reign we are all together under, that Lord Jesus is at hand. He's nearby. He's He's involved in our lives. Jesus isn't just sitting on the throne in heaven, totally oblivious to what we're doing, saying, thinking, how we're acting here on earth. Jesus is not a far off God. But he's near. He's both transcendent, which means he's above everything and rules and reigns. We see that in chapter 3, verse uh, 20 and 21. We see that he's ruling and reigning as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But he's also at hand. He's nearby. And he's coming soon. We're going to meet him face to face soon. Whether that is his bodily return. uh, Whether that is him recreating heaven and earth before our very eyes. We, we look forward to that day. Or if 100 years from now, we meet him face-to-face because by then all of us are gonna be dead, right? I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and they're like, I knew someone who lived till 110. So you may wanna change how you're saying that. But you guys get the point, right? That, that sooner or later, we are going to meet Jesus face-to-face. He is at hand. And everything we do, our interpersonal relationships, actually matter to him. They matter to him. And so we have to fight for unity. We have to be reasonable in the process. We have to have the mind of Christ to make that happen. And does that mean we're going to agree on everything? No, that's not what Paul and scripture calls us to. But what are we to agree in? Pop quiz. What What are we to agree in? The Lord. It's in there right? What what does he say? He says, "I, I encourage you, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. So it's not that he's trying to get us to have the same opinions or the same ideas or the same perspectives, but Paul is calling us to have the same mind, which is yours and mine in Christ Jesus. It's good stuff, isn't it? It's good stuff. So Paul says, the Lord is at hand. That's the reason why we have to be reasonable with one another. And that we have to rejoice in the midst of difficulty and that we have to agree with one another and help one another agree. And Paul continues in verse six by saying, do not be anxious about anything. I'll tell you, anxiety uh, comes flooding in with interpersonal conflict, doesn't it? Like anxiety is like right there present with us as we have conflict with one another. Uh, my daughter, had and she struggles with uh, anxiety in a lot of ways, and it takes different forms. One time she uh, was taking a bath, and she pooped in the bath. And, you know, we get it. It happens to the best of us, right? You know, you get relaxed. <laughs> you know, you're reading a book. There's a candle. You got one of those cool bamboo things you got from Amazon. Like, everything's quiet, and whoops, you know? <laughs> but all of a sudden, she's terrified of baths because— this triggers her anxiety, right? And so we're walking through that with her, or whether it's uh, you know, in the parking lot with cars driving by, and she that uh, triggers her anxiety. But, but what's amazing about children in the midst of anxiety is that they have a natural instinct to cling to their parents. Do you know that? And, and what Paul is saying here, he says, "Don't be anxious about anything. He's not saying we're not allowed to experience anxiety. He's encouraging us not to remain there. And how do we do that? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's saying, don't remain in that space of anxiety, but instead run to God with it. Run to God with your feelings. Run to God with your emotions. He's not afraid of them. He created them. He knows you better than you know yourself. And so when we have moments of anxiety, fear, worry, if we struggle with depression or suicidal thoughts or whatever we may be walking through, Paul is inviting us to bring that to the Lord. We don't have to hide our struggles from God. God's not expecting us to have it. All together, He knows we don't have it all together. Therefore, he sent his only son to die on a cross for us so that we could have a relationship with him. So that our relationship could be made right with him so that we could bring our prayers and requests to him and that he could uh, grant and hear and interact with us. But it takes, it requires a posture of humility to recognize that we need God. So often we're struggling with anxiety, struggling with fear, struggling with worry, struggling with doubt, struggling with all of these things. And instead of bringing those to God, we're like, no, I got it. I got this. I'm just going to kind of pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to, you know, read another self-help book or, or do whatever I need to do in order to overcome this anxiety on my own. And scripture doesn't call us to that. It calls us to the Father. Now, one of the verses we've memorized with Haddon and we were uh, going over it with her every single night in the in the height of her anxiety is cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you, right? But you know that verse, it's interesting. There's a context to it. That's 1 Peter 5, 7. And I actually want us to turn to 1 Peter together and see this context because it's it's actually really important. 1 Peter chapter 5, We'll find the context if we just back up to verse six. First Peter five, six says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I love that picture of being humbled under God's mighty hand. And so often, I think we think of that in the sense of like, we're really proud and we need God to smush us down and make us like a little bit smaller and we need to be humbled under his mighty hand. But I think it's a fuller picture than that. It's a picture of God's mighty hand as a hand that protects us, that that is our provision, that he's our Jehovah, Jireh, that he's our provider, that that we can be found in him, that he's our safety. The Bible says that the name of the Lord is like a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. And in, in the midst of our anxieties, Peter is saying, cast all of those on him because he cares for you. But what do you do before that? Humble yourself under his mighty hand and at the proper time, he will exalt you. And when we recognize that we can't do it on our own, that we don't have everything it takes, that we don't have all that is needed to deal with our anxieties, to deal with our conflicts, to deal with our frustrations or our struggles, when we recognize that we don't have everything it takes and in humility, we come under God's mighty hand in our lives. It is then that we can cast our anxieties on him and know and experience that he cares for you. And for me. So Paul says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't hide with your anxiety. Don't hide with your frustrations. Don't hide with your fears. Don't hide with your worries and try to do them on your own, but instead bring those to light with the Lord. And that is our tendency as human beings. We remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They commit that first sin. And what is their, what is their first reaction? To hide, to hide, to, to try to cover up their sin, which only makes things worse. And Paul is inviting us not to try to cover up our anxieties, not to try to hide our anxieties, but to cast them uh, on Jesus with prayer and with supplication by presenting our requests to God. And what is the result of that action, of that step, of that response of when we are feeling that anxiety, we're feeling those emotions, we're feeling those fears and we bring those requests to God with prayer and with supplication and also a posture of thanksgiving, of recognizing who he is and what he's done and how good he is to us. What is the result of our casting our anxieties on Jesus? That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I love that phrase. It it just doesn't even make sense. (laughs) If you look at the world around you in the midst of your anxiety, this peace of God makes no sense whatsoever. But when we cast our anxieties on him, when we bring the, the, the request to him, the peace of God, which per, per, uh, surpasses our understanding, what does it do? It guards our heart and our minds in Christ Jesus. You know, we do not have what it takes to live according to our new citizenship. <laughs> in and of ourselves, We are as foreign as foreign can be. We don't know what it means to live as citizens in this new kingdom in and of ourselves. But Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit and he's given us his word and has invited us in to living a new way under a new king with a new citizenship, which is in heaven. And as we do, we live at peace. Uh, We live with the peace of God that surpasses understanding. And that peace happens vertically between us and God. And then it it flows horizontally between us and one another. Our unity depends on us learning to be able to live at peace with others with whom we disagree. And the way that we do that, is that we bring our struggles and our anxieties to Jesus. We humbly recognize that Jesus is the exalted king over all of the universe and especially over us, the church. And as we do, his peace, his rule will reign over our hearts and over our minds and over our community as we live at peace with him and with one Another, And that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus every single day as we live on a planet that is full of difficulty and full of struggle and full of strife. What good news is that? Amen, church? Amen, let's pray together. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for the beauty of your word. God, we thank you for the beauty of your life that is offered to us. Jesus, we thank you that your mind is ours, (laughs) That, that your word tells us that the mind of Christ is ours, that you, Jesus, demonstrated what it means to humble yourself, to care for your people, And God, we thank you that because of that example, because of who you are and what you have shown us and what you have done, that we now can live in light of that. Jesus, we thank you that we don't have to have everything it takes in and of ourselves. We thank you that we can bring our requests to you, that we can bring our anxieties to you, we can bring our struggles to you, we can bring our frustrations to you, our interpersonal conflicts to you, whatever it is we may be walking through in this life, we thank you that you're not far off and aloof in heaven, but you are near to us, that you're near to the brokenhearted, you're near to us as we struggle, you're near to us as we fail and we fall but that because you are near to us, we can stand firm in you. We can cast our cares on you. We can bring our requests to you. And that the the beauty of the promise that you have given to us is that the peace that doesn't even make sense, that passes our understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is found in your word that we can lean on and rely on and trust in your faithfulness to us. Help us to stand firm in you and to bring all of our struggles to you. And we thank you that you care for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name, our King, amen. Amen.